Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Well, good morning, Word of Life. How is everyone this morning? Oh, good. Well, we're certainly glad to have you guys out here. And, you know, we know it's the first of the month, so many of you are partnering with us by giving your tithes and your offerings. And we just want to say thank you so much for your amazing, radical generosity. Your giving is absolutely paying off all the projects we have here at Word of Life Church, but also going all around the world to support missionaries who are advancing God's kingdom. In fact, since the last time we made this video, we've updated our project giving into this. You actually paid off a whole nother bay of asphalt for our parking lot. That's amazing. So the, the, it started with 500,000 was the need, and now we're down to, they'll put it up on the screens, I think it's like 348, something like that. On the, no, they're not going to put it on the screens. That's okay. It's like $348,000 uh, that is left, but it's amazing how fast you guys have paid those things off. And I just want to say uh, from the bottom of my heart, a big God bless you and thank you for your generosity. You guys know here we don't pass buckets. We don't make a big pool for money. We just allow each and every one of you guys to honor the Lord and to not ever be manipulated by whatever happens on the stage for you to do so. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, you tithe without us asking you to constantly. You give without us asking you to constantly. You support these projects and pay them off with giving above your tithes and offerings without us begging you to. It's a testimony to your generosity. And I just want to pray for you. And I want to pray for everyone who is tithing and giving this month. And I want to ask God uh, to just open the windows of heaven over your lives, over your families, and just pour out blessings that you don't have room enough to receive. So let's all just bow our heads real quick today and let's pray over our giving. Father, we come before you and we just thank you for all that you are doing in Word of Life Church and all that you are doing through Word of Life Church. And Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name that we call every one of these projects paid for. We call this building paid for. We call our asphalt paid for. Father, we thank you these projects fall beneath our feet. And Father, we thank you that the same thing is true in the lives of those who are giving. That Father, their generosity, just like Cornelius's in the book of Acts, has come up before you. And you have for not forgotten their seed that they have sown. And you are not overlooking the seed that they were sowing this month. So Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that you do open up the windows of heaven over our family, over our church, and that you pour out blessings that we do not have room enough to receive. We love you, Father, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, we're in a series uh, called A Crazy Little Thing Called Love, and we're going to talk to the marrieds today, uh, but we're also going to be talking to the singles in this series, and I'll say this, uh, that I saw a statistic this week that said 95% of people in America will get married. Some of you are like, God bless, thank you, Pastor Joe. That blessed you more than anything you've heard in a long time in church. It's like there is a chance. 
95% of people will get married uh, and who live in America. And, you know, the time to learn about marriage is not in marriage. It's like, how many of you know when someone's doing surgery on you, the time to learn to do surgery is not during surgery? Uh, like, uh, it's better to know about that before you enter the operating room. Uh, and so even when we're talking about marriage stuff, don't think that it doesn't refer to you. It most certainly does. And so to help me teach this series, I brought someone incredibly special to the stage here at Word of Life Church. Can we give it up for my amazing, beautiful, talented, lovely, special <laughs> wife? Aw, thanks, babe. I love Marriage Weekend so much. One, I'm passionate about this subject, but two, seriously, doing this with him on stage is so much fun. So I'm so happy to be here with all of you. You know, we've been married almost 15 years. It flies by so fast. We got, yeah, we did it. <laughs> But it is so much fun, and so this morning we're excited to share with you what's been on our heart. A couple weeks ago, I was, you know, going through Instagram, and I follow a lot of home and recipe bloggers, and you know how it goes. You run across a pretty picture, and it, I ran across this beautiful cake, and so I was like, oh, you know, I've made a few cakes in my day, so I bet I could make this. I'm a decent baker, honestly, if, if I'm you know, talking good about myself. Um, so I saw this particular cake and I was like, oh, I would love to do that. It's beautiful. It sounds good. And, and so I took that screenshot, you know, and I, I have that picture. But don't you know that to get the recipe, you have to scroll down a little further. So I took my screenshot and then went down and, and got to the recipe and direction part. And I start reading the recipe and I'm like, Good gravy, that's a lot of ingredients it's calling for. And then I start reading over the directions and it's so specific and it's like way too many steps. And so I was like, well, never mind, I won't make that cake. It's too much work, but it sure is pretty. And I thought that in relation to marriage. You know, we all have an idea of what a gorgeous, perfect marriage looks like. And I think we all have expectations. And so we take that screenshot of marriage and it's like, that's exactly what I want. But how many of you know in the marriage relationship, it's not just simply seeing something you want, but you have to scroll down and see what it takes to get a good marriage and the directions for marriage. And it's not always fun and easy. You know, the sugar in a marriage is like the dating and the flirting and the fun and you go on a vacation, and he tosses you in the air, and someone captures that perfect picture. You know, that's, that's what marriage is. But actually, that moment is as important as, like, that teaspoon of baking soda. And what that teaspoon of baking soda in marriage is when I've been wrong, I come to my spouse, I admit it, and ask for forgiveness. It's not always the, the fun thing to taste or think about, but it's a needful thing because to get a good marriage, there is a recipe for it. And that's exactly how this weekend came about. Several years ago, we were out with a couple about to get married, and so they had asked us for premarital counseling. So we're sitting at the Amerigos over in Ridgeland, the original, and we're just having a great time. You know, they're asking us questions. We're asking them questions about, you know, things that they'll encounter coming up in marriage. And at the end of the night, after we've talked a lot, had a great time, 
I looked at him and I was like, you know, you should write a to-do list for marriage, like 10 top top 10 things that every marriage should do for a healthy marriage. And so this morning, that is the list we want to share with you. We did it a couple years ago, but we put a little spin on it. So it'll be new stuff for you. So we're excited about sharing that. That's right. We've revised and updated. And so what we want to give today is the top 10 things to do after I do. So you've said I do, you've had the wedding ceremony, now what do we do? These are the 10 things you need to do after I do. Here is number one. Number one, they'll put it on the screens. If your wife says, you do whatever you want to do. Has that ever happened to you in marriage? You do whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. You do whatever you want to do. Men, listen to me. Don't do anything. Stand still. Don't blink. Don't answer, don't breathe, protect your vital organs, play dead, because if you really do whatever you want to do, you will wind up dead. Do not do, it does not mean that. It actually means you better do what I want you to do. And if you don't know what that is already, we've got bigger issues than this. That's what that, I'm kidding, that's not point number one. That was just a joke. Just a joke. Here's point number one, they'll put it on the screen. Ways to tell if a woman is mad at you. Number one, she's silent. Or she could be yelling, or she acts the exact same, or she acts different, or she just murdered you. (laughs) I didn't even know she was mad at me. And now I'm dead. That was a a joke, too. Here's the real point number one. Real point number one. For real. (laughs) I will close the gaps. Now, when you're dating, before you're married, you are pursuing. Uh, You're going after each other, and no one has to tell you to date. You're dating. No one has to tell you to call. You're calling. In fact, your mom might have to say, like, get off the phone. Like, you're talking way too much. Uh, Or you look at your bill, and it's like, whoa, you get off the phone, and it's like, man, we talked for an hour and 30 minutes. No one has to tell you to talk. You're talking. Um, No one has to tell you to, you know, keep your hands to your. Well, somebody does have to tell you to keep your hands to yourself. (laughs) Um, But you understand what I'm saying. Like, when you're dating, there is a pursuit. Uh, But it's amazing to me. That after people say, I do, the pursuit stops. And I I think there's a bunch of reasons for this. I think the biggest one is just monotony of you're there and you get so familiar with each other that it's been a long time since you laughed or it's been a long time since you really had a lot of fun. It's been a long time since, like, you've had a good conversation. And maybe it's just you got so busy, like, especially if you have, like, kids. Like, life can get so busy, right? Or maybe something came up at work. Or maybe you're just under a lot of stress. Or maybe something has come up in your relationship where there's friction there and there's a separation. But either way, now there's a gap. There is distance between you and your significant other. Uh, years ago, I had this story come up in my heart today. I did not originally intend to say the story. In fact, right before we came out, I told Pep, I said, I have uh, a story in my heart to share. It just came to me. And I said, don't let it throw you off because I'm going to break script. But I just, I, I really felt impressed to say this. Years ago, before we got married, I was pastoring the church, and I was 20 years old when this moment happened. Uh, I know, it sounds wild. If you are a visitor, uh, don't worry, I'm not 20 anymore. Like, uh, I've got some experience. 
Uh, and, uh, of course, pastoring is eventful, but never more so than when you're counseling people. And, of course, one of the chief things people need counseling for is marriage. And my second ever marriage counseling appointment uh, happened when a couple came in my office and they said the following. Well, she said this. She said, I've lost my love for my husband. And she didn't say it like to be mean. Like, because sometimes it's like you can do it to be like, I don't love you anymore. But she said it almost in a devastated way. Like in a way that almost made me tear up. Because she's feeling the weight of what she's saying, and she knows it hurts him to hear it. But she's saying, I don't know what to do. I've lost my love for him. And I'm sitting there, 20 years old. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so if you're ever going to be in ministry, don't do what I did. I said, let me get back with you. I, can't, I, I, literally, I literally just stopped the appointment. I'm like, I don't know what to say. Uh, so I stopped the appointment. I'm like, let's, let's come back on that. Like, let's come back to that issue. Uh, and uh, can you meet? And I gave them some options, and they said yes. And so in between then, uh, I'm like, I've got to find some good things to say. Like, what do you tell someone? They just said, I've lost my love for my husband. And so I called a pastor who had pastored for many years, and I said what I just told you. And he told me something that I never forgot. He said, Joel, this is a common thing for couples, and maybe you're here today, and you're feeling some of these same things, like, I don't know if I love them anymore. He told me something I, I'll never forget. He said, Joel, nowhere in Scripture does it tell you what to do if you lose your love for someone or God. But it does tell you in the book of Revelations that you can leave your love. And he said there's a big difference between lost and leave. If you lose something, you don't know where it is, so you can't go back and get it. But if you leave something, you know exactly where it is, and you have a choice as to whether or not you want to go back and get it. And that scripture, the way it goes is this, is Jesus is like, there's so many wonderful things in you and about you, but I have one thing against you. And he said, here's this one thing. You have left the love you had at first. So he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to repent, and I want you to go back to the deeds you had at first. What were you doing at first? Go back to those things. And this is what point number one is all about. It's like when there is a gap, you have to come back in and do the things you did at first. Like, when's the last time I sent flowers? Like, when's the last time I text? When, just for no other reason other than just say I love you. When's the last time... I fought to stay on the phone versus get off the phone. When's the last time, like, we took a romantic date or had a fun conversation? Like, I've got to fight for that. I, I, I can't allow this gap to be there. I've got to do whatever it takes to close that gap because at the end of the day, intensity and intimacy are better than proximity. Like, proximity's amazing. It's great that you're still living in the same household. Like, that's, that's a win. Good for you. Proximity is awesome. But intensity and intimacy are better. And what I want you to do in your marriage is I want you to fight for that intensity. I want you to fight for that intimacy. Don't settle for proximity when God's best is intimacy and intensity. Can I get an amen? amen. This Come on, word of life, right? Amen. amen. So good. I, I love how he said that proximity 
It's great. You know, in, in marriage, we should live with our spouse. That's a good thing. But that's not God's best for us. You know, God's best isn't for us to just live close by. We can be in the same home. We can, you know, be in separate rooms. We're close by. But close to our spouse takes intentionality. And what that simply is, is when you notice that there might be some tension, that you are more in tune to closing that gap than you are of being right in your feelings. My marriage is my responsibility. If I want a great marriage, it's going to take effort and being close to my spouse. If there's distance between us, it is our responsibility to close that gap. So I want to encourage you, don't just survive marriage. Don't think of marriage as just a roommate, you're living together, you're raising kids together. It's supposed to bring you life. God made marriage, therefore it's to be good. So I encourage you, don't settle for close by your spouse. Strive and work towards being close to them. Yeah, so point number one is I will not settle for any gaps in my marriage. My marriage is my responsibility. I'm not gonna make it my wife's job for us to have a good marriage. And she's not gonna make it my job for me to have a good marriage. My marriage is my marriage and it's my responsibility. And when I notice a gap, and this is one of the biggest things, and I, I'm, I'm like, why am I sitting? I feel like I should stand. <laughs> I'm so used to standing. Uh, but one of the big things that I've noticed is just the ability to notice when there is a gap and to do something about it. Like, if you know that there's not intensity, if you know there is not intimacy, don't settle for that. Fight to close that gap. Make your marriage your responsibility. Point number two is this, I will pray for and with my spouse. I'll pray for them, and I will also pray with them. Jesus told this parable, it's one of my favorites. He said that two guys went out and built a house. Now, I think that's symbolic of us building our families. And he said, the first guy who built this house, it was Instagram worthy, it was beautiful, it was great, it was wonderful, but he built it upon the sand. So on the outside, it looked great. On Instagram, it looked filtered and edited and perfect and everybody's smiling and the kids are happy and dinner is made and somehow the kitchen is cleaned at the exact same time. Like on the outside, it looked great, but it didn't have any foundation. And the other guy, he built his house, his family upon the rock. And in building upon the rock, his exterior looked greatest too, but it had a different foundation. He said they were both great for a while. For a while, they were fine, but then a great storm came. And when the great storm came, he said the guy who built his house, his family upon the rock, it withstood that storm. But for the guy and, the, the, who, and family who built their house upon the sand, when the storm came, it blew it all away. And it was like it was never there before. And I think all of us see that a lot, that there are a lot of couples who are separated or there are a lot of couples who, uh, you know, may be going through a divorce and there's no judgment or shame or any of those types of things. But I will say, like, God's best is for our marriages and our families to survive whatever storm the enemy throws at us. That no matter what happens, and being married 15 years, I will tell you, like there's been all kinds of things that have been thrown at our marriage, like health issues with our children, family issues that come up that, like you're not even married to these people, but what's going on in their life is now affecting your life and your family and your marriage. And like all of these things, these storms come, and some of them you see coming, and some of them you cause, but 
these storms come. But if your, your marriage and your family is built upon the rock, it can withstand any storm. And the rock in the parable is Christ. Like, he is our rock. And the best way to make Christ the rock of your life, the rock of your family, is to pray. Now, I want you to pray for your spouse. And here's the three reasons why. When you pray for someone, you get a heart for who you pray for. You ever, you ever notice that Jesus made mention of this? He said, I want you to pray for your enemies. And when he say, says pray for your enemies, it's not like, Father, let them get hit by a car in Jesus' name. Like, No, he, he specifies what he's saying pray for. And he said, pray for their blessing. Now, why would he ask you to pray for their blessing? Well, I'll tell you why. To protect your heart. See, your prayers can change them, but more importantly, your prayers protect your heart. And so oftentimes in marriage, there are things that come up where there's a gap, and we would never call our spouse our enemy, but you might be treating them like they are, or whatever it may be. But when you're praying for your spouse, I'm telling you, you get a heart for your spouse. It's very hard to be mad at them when you're praying for them. It's very hard to stay irritated when you're praying for them. In fact, when I hear someone talk negatively about another person with judgment and criticism, I can tell they have not been praying for that person. Because when you pray for someone, you get a heart for who you pray for. Secondly, I want you to not only pray for that person, but when you pray, you get a heart for who you pray with. And I want you to be at a place where you're praying with your spouse. And I know for some of you this is very awkward because maybe you didn't grow up in a praying home. And I know I counsel a lot of people who have never prayed in front of other people out loud. We have a lot of people who just started coming to this church for the very first time. And so I get sometimes that there is like this feeling of, am I doing it right? Or is it, am I saying the right thing? Here's the rules for when you pray with your spouse. Number one, keep it short. You don't have to be the Apostle John and wax poetic. Like, you know, don't, don't worry about all that. Here's what I pray. Here's what I pray when we pray together. Short, simple, sweet. Here's what I pray. Father, I got it from the book of Job. Job prayed and asked God this. Job said, Father, I want to be so close with you that not even air can come between us. Like, so you're so close, you can, might get a sheet of paper in between. He's like, no, I don't even want to settle for that. I want to be so close to you, God, that not, only, that not even air can come between us. And that's what I pray for us, yeah. is when we pray together, I keep it short and I keep it simple. And here's what I pray. Father, let me and Pat be so close that not even air can come between us. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep it short. Keep it consistent. And if you miss a day, don't miss two. Like, get right back there because there's power in praying with your spouse. And lastly, when you pray, you get a heart for who you pray to. Now, obviously, when we're praying, we're praying to God. And here's what's amazing about this is I don't need her to be my mother. I have one of those. Yeah. And she does not need me to be her father. She has one of those. I, I, and it's not my job or my role to constantly police her, to tell her the things that she can improve or the things that she didn't do right. I am not her father. I am not the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. Come on, ladies. Come, <laughs> Come on, on, ladies. <laughs> and she's not my mom. If you want to fix someone while dating, if you think I need to fix them and I'll fix them, Wait for them to fix themselves before saying, I do. Because when you get married, your job is not to fix them. Your job is to help them. God designed you to be a helpmate, not a fixer. That's right. And Proverbs puts it this way. He says, it is better 
to be in the attic of the house with peace than in the living room watching the Super Bowl with a nagging wife. Like, he said, I would, I'd rather just miss the whole thing and, and be in the attic than to have someone who's constantly telling me all the things that I'm doing wrong and not doing enough of. That's not my job. I, I'm not called to fix her. I'm called to love her. And here's the beauty of this, of when I pray, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit can deal with my heart about things that she's been wanting to say to me that she has found it awkward to say, but as I have a relationship with God, he is now able to say those things to me that she knows I need to hear. I've used this example before, but I think it is so easy for all of us to comprehend. It paints that perfect picture for us, but it's the shape of a triangle. And what this represents is at the bottom you have two corners, and each corner represents man and woman. And at the top of the triangle, you have a corner that represents God. And what we see is on that bottom, there is such a distance between man and woman. You know, there's that gap there that's inevitably there. But what we can see is as both of us are choosing to pursue God, that no matter how hard we try, if we are pursuing God with everything we have, we're going to be closer personally. We'll be closer to our Heavenly Father, but we'll also be closer to our spouse. And that is so important. We need to pay attention to those moments where God is speaking. Because like he said, we're not called to fix or parent our spouse. We're called to love and respect and enjoy the mess out of our spouse. But you know, in those moments where, we're, where God is speaking to us, he is going to start dealing with us things that we need to change that would help our marriage be stronger, help our marriage be life-giving. Just last week, in fact, I was in the back room between services, and I was talking to Pastor Tom Tony, and we were just talking, you know, about children and life, that kind of thing, and he made a statement. He said, you know, we only have our kids for 20% of our life. Or, or yeah, 20% of our life is when they live at home with us. And when he said that, I felt God speak to my heart. You know, obviously marriage is on the forefront because I knew this weekend was coming up. But he spoke to my heart and he said, you know, as moms, we are so intentional with making sure our kids are healthy. We're so intentional that if our child is having a bad day, we go to them. We don't wait for them to come to us. We go to them and we're like, what's going on? What can I do to make your life better? We're so intentional to say, I love you, and put them in bed and pray over them and pray God's protection over them as they go into school. We're so intentional. But the thing God spoke to me in that moment is, are you as intentional with the man you'll be married to longer than your kids will be in your home? Are you as intentional with that relationship as you are with your children? And I started thinking, does he know that I care that he had a great day? Does he know that if he did have a bad day that I would do whatever it took to make sure his evening was better? Am I being intentional enough and you know, that, that stopped me in my tracks, and I was like, God, I will be even better at that. If I can pick up on the slightest thing to let him know, babe, I'm here for you, and I care. I am so intentional about having those gaps closed and that closeness with you. And that's what God spoke to my heart, 
But how many of you know the Holy Spirit isn't just going to speak things to get us to do something? He's speaking things that will bring life to you and your marriage. It's not just simple. It's important what he's trying to speak to your heart. Amen. So that's point number two is we're going to pray for each other and we're going to pray with each other. And to wrap it up for today, point number three, I will be the first to repent. The first to repent. Now, repentance is not like, I'm the scum of the earth. Like, I'm so sorry. Here's what repentance means. Is there is something that has come up and you had two people who were close together and because of what has happened, now I'm walking away. Repentance, literally, the biblical definition of repentance is I will turn and go in the other direction. Now, here's what we do in marriage is oftentimes it's like, I'll let you go first. Uh, and until you start the journey back, I'll just stay over here. And not only am I expecting you to like turn and go in the other direction, I'm expecting you to feel awful and sorry and bad for what you did. And when you come back and you felt sufficiently bad enough, then we can have intimacy together. And uh, what Jesus wants is for us to do something entirely different. Here's what he asked us to do in the book of Matthew. They'll put it up on the screens. He says, you hypocrite, so sweet. Uh, first, cast out the beam of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to cast out the mode out of your brother's eye. So he said, before you deal with them, deal with you. Come on, somebody. Before you deal with them, deal with you. Before you deal with them, deal with you. He's yeah. like, I understand they have something that they need to fix, but before you fix them, fix you. Before you talk to them about that, why don't you fix your attitude? <laughs> you know, fix your opinions. Like, slow down. Find a place of peace. Find a place of love. You begin the journey back. Before you fix them, fix you. You be the first to repent. We're talking about this point, which I think is such a strong point in marriage, because we'll all have this opportunity to make the choice. But we started laughing about it because I thought of a story that happened about a year ago. We took our kids to Gatlinburg, and so um, he plans incredible trips. He could be a travel agent on the side. Um, and so he plans us these awesome trips. And so this particular day, he had planned for us to just walk downtown Gatlinburg. And if someone saw something fun they wanted to do, we would do whatever that was. So we saw this big arcade-type building, and one of the kids was like, let's go there. So we go inside and we see that there's a really cool big laser tag course. And if you've gone here any length of time, you know this crew is ridiculously competitive, you know? I mean, like, we're so sweet today, but you put a game on the floor and we're like, oh, game on, man. Every man for himself. So we signed up to play this laser tag game. And we're playing it with a lot of other strangers. And so your teams are picked randomly. Well, it happens that I get Ben, who is our six-year-old, great, you know, and he gets the older two, Reese and Boston, who are much older. So they're at a greater advantage, right? Well, so we start playing this game. We act like no one else is in the room. It's the five of us against each other. And so we're just going at it. I mean, you're pouring sweat because you're working really hard in these five minutes. So the time elapses, and we have to go out to the lobby to see who the winner is. So we're like, you know, so excited. All of us are confident. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. You know, we're all so confident. We go out and look at the TV screen to show the scores. And you guys, I whooped them. Like, <laughs> creamed she cheated. them. She cheated. 
I want to be clear. You know what? It's fun because I realize to be beat by your wife is not fun. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I totally get it. This this game here, I've never seen laser tag work this way. This game counted <laughs> against you if you got hit. So if you got hit, you lost points. If you hit somebody, uh-huh. you got points. So here's my wife the whole time. She's covering up every sensor that you can possibly hit her with. And she's, I'm like, stop covering your sensors. That's illegal. I outsmarted them. You win games outsmarting people, you know. That's true. (laughs) But no, my heart was pure. I did not try to cheat, I promise. But I was so proud of myself. Said every cheater. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I mean, this. This heated exchange is going on and on. And then, of course, he gets our oldest on board. And so they're all like, Mom, you cheated. I'm like, son, I get it. It's not cool that your mom beat you. But she did. I won this game fair and square. So it is going on and on. We're walking down the street towards our car. We're still talking about it. It's still not resolved. We get in our car. We are still going at it. We still, neither one of us has chosen to just back down. And then after we're in the car for a minute, you hear our oldest, our daughter, the smartest, obviously, in this moment. She's not competitive like the rest of us. And her voice was quivering. She said, Mom and Dad, will y'all please just quit fighting? (laughs) (laughs) And in that moment, we realized maybe we took it a wee bit far. And I wouldn't say one of us chose to forget because here we are a year later still debating on stage in front of thousands of people who won. I did. I won. Um, But in that moment, you know, it's fun to laugh about, but we did. We had to realize that there is a whole lot of tension here. And it'd just be smarter and easier if both of us decided you know, to just lay down our guns. Yeah. You know, it's, we say it a lot whenever we teach on marriage, but it's like, great, you proved your point, but no one likes you. (laughs) True. Is that really what you want? I won, but everyone doesn't want to be around you. Like, (laughs) did you really win? Uh, And whenever we are talking about being the first one to repent, we use a funny story like that, but is it not true that that is a microcosm of every argument ever had in marriage? Like someone takes offense with what someone else has done, and now it's like, you need to be aware of the offense that you made, and not only that you need to be aware of it, you need to feel awful for it, and until you are aware of it, until you are awful for it, like we are just going to have this distance. And here's what I want you to see, like the heart of this is birthed from something other than God. And I want you to see where this attitude comes from. It's actually found in the book of Matthew chapter four and verse number eight, they'll put it up on the screens. Again, the devil took Jesus up into an exceeding high mountain and shows him all the kingdom of the world and the glory of them. And then watch what he does. And he says unto them, all these things I'll give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, do you see the heart behind this? Here is the devil saying, if you give me what I want, then I'll give you what you want. And you can't have what you want until you give me what I want. But when you give me what I want, now I'll give you what you want. You change, then I'll change. And if you change, then we'll change, and then we can both have what we want. And the heart of this came from him. Now, what did Christ do? While we were yet in sin, he came and drew near to us that the goodness of God leads men to repentance. And God is most definitely not saying to anyone in this room, you don't have to change anything. 
God will be sure to tell us things in our lives that we need to change, alter, and those types of things. But is it not done with like this overwhelming spirit of like mercy and love and coming at a place where he's wanting what's best for the relationship and not just himself, like all of these types of things? And what, what God wants for each and every one of us is for us to be more like Christ and less like the enemy. Yeah. I thought of a story I heard of this mom who, sweet mom, had woken up on a Saturday morning and she decided to make pancakes for her two little boys. And so the two little boys are sitting at the kitchen table and so she's, you know, firing up the grill, so to speak. And she only has one pan though, so she's making pancakes one at a time. Well, she flips the pancake, it's ready to go. And so she said, all right, boys, who wants the first pancake? Well, as we would expect, both boys are like, oh, me, 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 choose me, mom, I'm starving, I'm way hungrier. And so there's like this debate on who gets the first pancake. And so as every good Christian mom does, she, you know, takes it as a teaching moment. And so she said, you know, boys, she got in their eyes, she sat down at the table and she said, This is a chance for you to choose to be like Jesus. And what Jesus would do is not want the best for himself, but he would prefer the other person. And so she said, who wants to be Jesus in this moment? So it got quiet. The boys were sitting there. The oldest looked at the youngest and said, you be Jesus. You play Jesus. But you know what? We do the same thing in marriage. It's like our spouse misses it, and it's like, you be Jesus. You be the first to repent. You be the first to come to me. And that is a natural thing, I think. But I think as we grow closer to Jesus, we become more like him. And in those moments, we are way more aware that our marriage is our responsibility, I'm not going to wait for my spouse to choose me and lay down his will. I'm going to choose to lay down my will and choose him. And I think in marriage, that is a powerful tool for a healthy marriage, is you just decide, I'm going to be Jesus. I'm not going to point at my spouse and wait for him to be Jesus, but I'm going to choose to be Jesus in this marriage. So those are our first three do's after I do. Number one, I am not going to just sit back and settle for proximity. Intensity. I want romance, right? We want romance. We want God's best for marriage. And so when I notice that there is a gap, I'm going to take the time to close the gap because after all, my marriage, it's my marriage. It is my responsibility. Secondly, we're going to pray for each other. And not only are we going to pray for each other, we're going to start to pray with each other no matter how awkward it is at first because we want our family and our marriage built upon the rock, which is Christ. And thirdly, I'm going to be the first one to repent. As hard as it is, because I've got a point to prove, and as irritating it is, because we all know she cheated. Like, (laughs) uh, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, Let me be clear. She didn't cheat. Wink, wink. Uh, So, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, So in those moments of I am going to, like, say, what do I really want? Do I want to prove my point? And at the end of the day, have more distance than when we started? 
Or do I want to be like Christ and with the goodness of God, lead a wife or lead a husband over into a place of closeness and intimacy all over again? I will be the first one to repent. And so to kind of wrap up today, I'm just going to ask my wife to just pray over all of the married couples here. And so let's just bow our heads and pray. If you're married, you can join hands. Uh, And love, I'll let you take it away. Amen. Father, we love you so much. And count it an honor to know you and live for you, Jesus. I thank you, you are aware of every single marriage, every single relationship in this room, and Father, you know exactly what each marriage needs. Father, I thank you that after today, that whatever has created gaps, whatever has separated us from having the marriage that you've called us to have, I thank you, Father, it just fades away Let there be a new joy, a new laughter, a new sound in these homes. Father, I just thank you that marriages are built, they're strengthened, they're restored, Lord. Let forgiveness be the cornerstone, the rock, our foundation in our marriages. And Father, I just thank you it'll not only benefit us, but our children will see it. They'll see that God did a work in marriages today and not just our own families, but Father, I thank you that you can use our marriages to bring people into the knowledge of you. So Lord, let us be intentional with our spouse. Love them like never before. Give us creative ideas to show them we love each other. We love you, Father, and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.